Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Awaken. My name's Kathy. If we haven't met yet, I'm part of the staff. So glad that you're here. And as we begin our services, we like to just take some time to transition and to ground ourselves into this time and into this space. And so this morning, in holding with our series that we're doing of holism, I'm going to invite us into sharing a breath prayer together as our opening. Um, there may be movement in the room, people still coming in, but that's okay. We can still engage in this practice together. Um, breath prayers have been part of the Christian tradition for centuries, really emanating out of Paul's words to pray without ceasing. And even farther back, as we know, that the early Christians were um, in a Jewish and Jewish culture and context, really coming out of the Shema that they would practice and say every day. Um, breath prayers are meant to be a gateway, both um, to bring you more present to the sacredness of whatever you are doing, and that whatever you are doing this morning is gathering here in worship. Um, so in breath prayers, we are embodying the words um, into our inner being. The breath that comes in and fills our lungs uh, goes to oxygenate the blood that's flowing out of the arteries of our heart into all parts of our bodies. And um, so let me invite you just to become present to this space. You can have your eyes open or your eyes shut. Uh, this is your choice. In becoming present, just put your feet on the ground and feel the solidness of the foundation of this room that we're here together. As you're sitting in your chair, in your pew, feel the support of the wood underneath you, supporting you as you sit, the chair that you're in. And either sit up straight or lean back in feeling that you're held in where you're sitting. You can relax your shoulders, maybe drop your jaw. Put your hands on your knees or in your lap. And we're going to just breathe in and breathe out together as we would in song or in singing, repeating these words. On the inhale, we'll say together, Christ in us. And on the exhale, we in Christ. So just breathing in, Christ in us. We in Christ. Inhale, Christ in us. Exhale, we in Christ. Inhale, we in Christ. Exhale, Christ in us. Continue inhaling those words and exhaling just for a few moments.
we, rem we, we remember that the Holy Spirit lives, moves, and breathes in us and with us this morning. Come and worship. And now I have the privilege of introducing to you my friend, um, Alyssa Whetstone. Alyssa, if you will come up, please. Um, you may have noticed in the gallery space that there's some new art up there. Um, and that art was made by my very lovely friend, Alyssa, who is our next artist in residence. If you follow Artists Awake of Awaken on Instagram, it all shall be featured um, over the next little bit here. But she's going to share with us this morning a little bit about herself and her craft. So if you would give a warm welcome to Alyssa Wetzel. Hello, thank you. My name is Alyssa Whetstone. Um, I am full-time art teacher, part-time visual artist. Uh, I mostly draw and paint, so that's what I have in the gallery right now. Um, there's kind of three groups, so I thought I'd just quick tell you what those three groups are. Um, the first one is called Art Class, and I did that back in my undergrad um, and enjoyed being ready to be an art teacher. So I went and took photographs of different art supplies and tried to kind of give them a place of honor. Uh, by painting them exactly how they were, to the best of my ability, and giving them the space to kind of be seen and understood. Um, the next group is a few line drawings, that, trying to look at places that I know and recognize and see um, how I can understand them in the most straightforward and simple way. And then um, last is a group of places um, across Minnesota, and I've done more of those. I enjoy Minnesota. We have a lot of really pretty places, so I draw and painted a lot of those. And I really enjoy making those because I get to connect people who recognize the same places as me. Um, so when I get to show or talk about my art, people will say, I've been there, I know that place, or I've done something there. And we, even though we're strangers, we get to connect in a familiar um, understanding or a familiar place that we've been or seen. Um, so kind of all of those, the thing they kind of have in common um, and what I like to think and do as an artist is um, I make my art to see the world better because I get to stare at something for a really, really long time and then try to make it. And then I get to make art in order to connect with people and the people who see it and understand it. And then I get to know them better and they get to know me. And then last, I get to make something and understand God better because he actually created the place I'm looking at. And then I just get to appreciate it while I make it and then have other people take a second look at a place they've maybe seen before and they get to appreciate it um, a second time through my lens and through how I created it. Um, so that's a little bit about behind my art. I hope you enjoy looking at it and get to connect people around you through conversations or through things that, that you see and understand. So, thank you. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. If you want to find a seat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I love it. I love it. A uh, couple things as we get started. Uh, Kate Larson, I have your Bible. I don't know if there's a Kate Larson who's missing a Bible in here. I've lost my Bible recently, and it's just driven me nuts. So I have Kate. I have your Bible up here. Um, number two, uh, if anyone recognized the pre, uh, prelude music and uh, the interlude, that was the Killers. Anyone go to the Killers concert this week? Anybody know? No? No? Okay, it was good. Um, I was there. Laura and I went. We had a good time, so I made a little killer's playlist. Um, and, oh, 
Uh, if you're on Instagram or TikTok, follow Alyssa Whetstone. She makes some of the funniest TikToks. I, I don't really do TikTok, but it shows up in my Instagram feed. Somehow those two things are like connected to each other. But anyways, uh, they're hilarious. She does like really funny Instagram uh, things about being an art teacher. They're hilarious, so follow her, okay? Um, my name's Mike, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Really glad that you're here. We'd love to know that you were here. If uh, you would be so kind and generous in the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can um, fill out a newcomer card. And those will come to us. We will uh, reach out to you, invite you to a beverage of your choice, get to know you, and you can get to know us a little bit. Uh, those cards and any tithes or offerings that you have brought can go in the black boxes at the exits. We're grateful for those. A few announcements uh, in the life of our church. There's always the Awaken Weekly that goes out every week by email. All these things are in there, so if you don't get that, subscribe to it um, if you want. Uh, Jenna is heading up the pastoral care team and has been, and there is a meeting for that. So if you're interested in that, you find uh, you have shepherding gifts and care gifts. Uh, that is October the 9th at 1230, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, and you can contact Jenna on that. So this is like a lot of the things that happen below the radar at Awaken, where people just get cared for and loved on and walked with. That's this group of people, and it's really, really important. Um, if you've had a, a crisis or something and you've connected with the pastoral care team, you could probably attest to the meaning of that. So deep and meaningful work. Uh, second, there is a lunch, a queer lunch, that's being hosted by Josh and Cass Ely. Um, that's going to happen at uh, A-Side on October the 9th. So if you identify as queer in any way, uh, we'd love to have lunch with you. And Josh and Cass are hosting that. So um, you can note that, and um, that'll be lovely after the gathering on the 9th. Um, this fall, we're doing a couple things. Uh, one of them is a sacred sites tour. So if you're familiar with Jim Bear Jacobs, he's an indigenous leader in the Twin Cities, and we've connected with him. Uh, and he will be leading our group of 50 uh, on a, a tour of sacred sites close to Awaken, right here in St. Paul, to the indigenous community of our state. Um, and that is from 1 to 5, whether uh, rain or shine. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you dress for the weather. Um, and that will be a really, really sweet time. If you don't know anything about that story and the history of that, like some of the most meaningful sites to the indigenous community are literally like right down the street. Um, where the Minnesota and the Mississippi come together, there are also very big walleyes there. So I know that to be true. It's a very meaningful place, as it should be. Um, so that's uh, on the 23rd. And then last but not least, how many of you did trunk or treat last year? Any of you? Yes, we're doing trunk or treat again. Um, that's trunk with a K, not Trump with a P. Last year, everyone thought we were going to a Trump retreat. And they're like, Micah, what has happened to you? What? Uh, it's not that. So that's on, on Sunday before Halloween, uh, 1 to 4 p.m. We'll, uh, you can, you can ho like host a trunk in the parking lot. We'll make a big horseshoe, uh, decorate your trunks, and give out candies to the kids of the neighborhood. And it was a banging, it was a smashing success last year. Uh, and we anticipate it to be that again this year. First 50 trunks. So if you want to be a part of that, sign up. And um, there are some pretty cool prizes for the best trunk and the best costumes and all that. We had some pretty awesome ones last year. So um, you guys ready to rock and roll? All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, Kate, here's is up here again. Um, we're in Revelation 21, so turn there. I want to start uh, this morning with a little illustration. I'm going to read some lyrics from some songs, some old songs. They are from hymns. And if you, uh, if you grew up loving hymns, this is not an attempt to upset you, but rather just to make a point, okay? So I want to read a few lyrics, all right? So here we go. This is from I'm a Child of the King. 
My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them, but now he's reigning forever on high and will give me a home in the heaven by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth, but I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. A tent or cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Through exile, though exiled from home, yet may I, or yet still I, still may I sing. Easy for me to say. All glory to God. I'm a child of the King. Here's another one. It's called When We All Get to Heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll shout and sing the victory. Onward, the prize before us. Soon as beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. What we shall tread on the streets of gold. And last but not least, a real classic, probably one you're familiar with, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I will fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, O glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Just a few weary days, then and then I'll fly away. To a land and joy that shall never end, I will fly away. Stand if you're able. Revelation chapter 21 Starting in verse 1, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Skipping to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Pray with me. God, open our eyes and open our ears to hear and see the things that you would have us hear and see, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of your spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. So which is it? Is it like a celestial shore somewhere else where there are streets of gold that we'll tread, where the streets have no name? Is it, a, is it like we'll fly away to some other place? Or is it heaven, what the Bible often talks about is the kingdom of God, comes here to us. And God's dwelling place, which is now somewhat ethereal or spiritual, comes here and becomes physical. Which is it? Do you see how different those two visions are? Um, welcome to Awaken, everybody. <laughs> we're in week two of a series uh, called The Heart of Awaken, and we're looking at our values, of which there are six. They're over here on my left, your right. And every year in the fall, about this time, we, we do, we do th- something like this, where we return to uh, our values, the things that we've declared as important to us, and we spend some time with them because we want them to inform and shape and speak to what kind of church we want to be. 
And we declare our values. We state them. We get to choose them. And then hopefully they guide us. They, uh, they, they, they help us make decisions. They let us know if we're going to do this or not do that. Or if we're going to do this or not do that. They become a guiding principle or a group of things that guide who we are. Uh, last week we looked at the first value, which is Jesus, stated first intentionally because everything in our life we want to flow from this center. The life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. From that, we live and move and have our being. And so today I want to talk about the value of holism. Uh, holism tends to be, uh, in my opinion, of those six words over there, the most ambiguous, uh, maybe the least uh, easy to define or understand. It's the one I get the most questions about in Discover Awaken, which is after the gathering, by the way. Uh, and so I want to spend some time talking about that. Um, and, and while it is the most obscure and maybe the most difficult to understand or, or define, I actually think that many of you know it and you've experienced it. People come and they say, like, I came to Awaken and I experienced something that I can't quite put my finger on. Or they would come and say, like, I came to your church and visited and I'm calling it home now. And there's just something about, like, the energy around here that's different from something that I've experienced in the past. Or people have said, that's it. That's what was missing. Um, and so they came and were looking and found something, and I would argue that likely it is the working out of this value of holism. So here's what I want to do today. It's quite simple. I want to start with just what is this? What is the, the word? What's the definition of it? And then I want to move to, like, why is it important that a church would say it out loud? Why is it important that a church would declare holism as a value? I've looked on other church websites, and there aren't a lot of them that are saying this is a value of theirs. Now, you know, we're not a unicorn. We're not special. It's not like awakens better than everybody else. But it's an interesting word, and it's interesting that we've declared it as a value. So why? I want to try to, like, argue the case for why it's important. And then last, I want to end with, like, what are we aiming at? Um, I think you all know that, like, any teenager with a hammer can do demolition, Right? You just need a little bit of angst and something to bang on, and you can break anything apart. But it takes real intentionality and maturity to build something. So what are we aiming at? We don't just want to create a straw man and beat it down. While it might be fun for our ego, it's really not that good for the spiritual path of maturity. You know what I'm saying? So what are we aiming at? That's where we're going to end. So let's start at the beginning. You said start at the beginning, and that's where we'll start. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Princess Bride. All right, what is holism? Uh, sometimes it's helpful to know the antonym of a word, the opposite of a word. Uh, and I, I think if I were to choose a, a word to show like the opposite of holism, it would be atomism or this idea of like breaking something down to its smallest pieces or parts. Holism as a word uh, as a noun is as follows. It's on the screen behind me. A theory that the universe and especially living nature is correctly seen in terms of interacting wholes, as of living organisms, that are more than the mere sum of elementary particles. It's a study or method of, of treatment that is concerned with wholes or with complete systems, a holistic study or method or treatment. So a community that valued holism would be described as holistic. Uh, as an adjective, it's relating to or concerned with wholes or with complete systems rather than the analysis of, the treatment of, or dissection of its parts, atomism. Um, holism is, is, is uh, the idea of being concerned with 
all of the parts that are involved in something, and even more than that, that as a whole, they create something that's sometimes even more than the sum of their parts. Um, So holism recognizes that all the parts are connected. That we are individuals, but that we are more than individuals, that we're connected to one another in some way. Um, If you think about, like, as an example, if you think about trauma, um, a sort of atomistic way of looking at trauma would be that it only affects one's emotions. So when something happens to me, it only affects my emotions. And so as I would treat, you know, go to a therapist and treat how I'm dealing with that incident. A more holistic view of trauma would recognize that actually we, we now know that trauma has like physical, somatic uh, consequence. So if something happens to a person, a more holistic way of understanding or walking with that person would, yes, be to address the emotional impact that it had, but also the physical impact that it might have on a person and actually the somatic experience of trauma being worked out in a body. Uh, the relational ways in which trauma affects, right? So a more holistic view of that would be to take all of those things into consideration and walk a path out. Um, holism is concerned with the whole or complete system and the effect rather than breaking things down into smaller parts or dissecting things or even creating hierarchies. So that's holism as an idea. Now, let's shift to why is it important that we declare it as a value? Like, we could choose all kinds of different words, and we have, actually. When we first started the church, there were ten words on that sheet over there. And about five years ago, we went away as a staff, and we spent some time listening to God, and came back and realized, like, oh, our church has changed a little bit. And God is asking and inviting us into new things and new places. And we have some things that are important to us that aren't stated as values. So we changed them, because we can, <laughs> right? And so these are the six that we have in this season. Um, Why is it important to say holism is one of those values? Uh, Let's bring this into the spiritual life, right? The Christian faith. And I would say this is really uh, at the heart of why we think this is important. How many of you have heard people say something like, um, the mission of the church is to deal with spiritual issues, not social issues? Has anybody ever heard something like that? Or, that's a social issue, not the gospel. Yeah? Um, If you go back in history... 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was this great debate among evangelical Christians about the social gospel and people who were uh, people of faith who were saying, like, we're going to address social issues, homelessness and hunger and so on and so forth. And a lot of Christians said, like, that's actually not the church's job. That's a social issue. It's not a gospel issue. These are separate. And then I would argue there is a false dichotomy that exists among many Christians, that the gospel is about our souls, not our social systems. And so we say things like, this is sacred and that is secular, right? There's a whole music industry built on this dichotomy. (laughs) Sacred music, contemporary Christian music, and then secular music, you know, Coldplay and U2 and others. (laughs) Corn. Right? (laughs) Incubus. That's a deep cut right there. <laughs> and maybe some of you, even in youth group, you know, went to the, the camp and you had all these secular CDs, compact discs, and you were convicted by the Holy Spirit by the, you know, and the speaker, who was very good, to take all of your secular music, your secular CDs, and destroy them. And so you went home and you broke them all in an act of spiritual commitment. 
Because the world was broken up into these two categories of sacred and secular. And we do sacred, we don't do secular. Right? Um, I think this is hogwash, clearly. Right? I, I don't think that these are helpful terms. I don't think that these are helpful dichotomies or categories. Um, so let's make a little bit clear, like my opening illustration, um, why, why did I say that? Uh, there's, a, there's a guy named Timothy Cho who wrote an article, and he talks about this at length. So I, um, I want to introduce you to maybe a couple of ideas. He talks about the spiritualized gospel and the global north and the holistic gospel and the global south. Okay? Track with me. Um, if you could put that map up. Oh, you've already got it. Well done. Good job. So um, I'm going to speak in very broad and general terms here. Uh, and I know that there are always like curve crashers. I know that there are always exceptions to the rule. So don't pin me to the wall on that. I know that those exist. But generally speaking, um, sociologists and people who study these kinds of things have, have kind of mapped the world into regions or two categories, the global north and the global south. And the countries in the global north tend to be more developed, have stronger economies, uh, and therefore tend to have more capital and financial resources, which translates to more power and influence, right? So if you look at the map, this is U.S., Canada, uh, Europe, Asia, and China, Australia, right? The global north. Tend to be more developed, tend to have more resources, tend to have more financial capabilities, and tend to have more power and influence in the world. The global south, on the other hand, tends to be less developed, tends to have weaker economies, tends to be, have less capital and financial resources, which translates to less power and influence, and who have the unique position of often feeling the brunt of the exploitative practices of the global north. Tracking? So, for example, uh, in our peacemaking cohort that Laura and I did, um, we talked about, this was one of our um, sessions, I guess. Um, here's a couple of stats. 46% of global wealth is held by 1.1% of the population. So almost half of the world's wealth is held by 1% of the people that live on it. Global disparity. And that tends to fall along those lines right there. Tends to. Um, for uh, like carbon emission, uh, the global north tends to emit more carbon than their population share. The U.S. emits three times more pop carbon than our population share as it relates to the rest of the world. So these disparities tend to fall along these lines. And... Um, now, let's map the gospel over these, right? The global north and the spiritualized gospel and the global south and the holistic gospel, okay? Um, in this article, Cho writes this. He says, uh, this spiritualized gospel fundamentally believes that the focal point of the Christian faith is strictly spiritual. Salvation, then, is understood as pertaining solely or primarily to individual souls, and eternality is offered as a wholesale opiate to deal with present sufferings and grimmest face. As though justice, I love, this is very profound, as though justice has only a past and future tense, but no present. The here and now, the material, and the social issues around us are simply unessential 
of which the gospel and its savior is basically indifferent towards. Now, if you go back to where we started in the hymns that we read, there's a lot of this theology in the hymns, right? And you could argue that for those hymns which were written primarily by Global North people, there is a tendency for us to spiritualize the gospel, to atomize it, to break it down into smaller parts and say that the soul is the primary and privileged category that God is interested in. And so then, heaven when we die, where our souls will go, becomes the point of the story. It becomes the most important part of the story. The Global South, however, Cho and many other Christian missiologists argue, um, has not and cannot divorce the spiritual from the social. There's a, a woman named Mercy Amda. I'm going to not do well with this last name. It'll be a, Actually, can you throw that quote up on the screen and then you can just see it. There it is right there. She says, the human, is, the human being is still an integrated person in Africa because Global South Christians and Christians historically marginalized in the Global North have never been afforded the, 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 the ability to spiritualize the gospel. Right? or disintegrate the human person and break it up into social issues, things that happen to our bodies, and spiritual issues and our souls. Are you tracking on that? Cho writes, uh, in closing this article, he says, they exude, global South Christians, they exude a faithfulness that cannot fathom a divorce between the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Those being, tell people about Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself. They, the Global South Christians, embody a compassion that knows that loving neighbor involves loving their neighborhood too. I want to be clear about why this matters and how it's connected to holism. Folks, for folks like you and me, and I'm going to assume that the majority of this room falls into this category. Okay? I know that there are always exceptions, so if you find yourself in that category, there's room for you too. But, for folks like you and me, who for the most part grew up and reaped the benefits of the global north, it's very easy for us to spiritualize the gospel because it works for us. It benefits me. And a spiritualized gospel enables those in power to remain comfortable and unchallenged because the gospel isn't about our systems. It's just about my soul and where I go when I die. So it doesn't matter if you're poor or, un or hungry or, right? It allows the compartmentalization of the gospel, a spiritual gospel that only concerns itself with the soul. It allows for compartmentalizing the good news of Jesus. And then we can place the suffering of others in a box at the very back of the house and never unpack it. Because it doesn't impact me. I don't know if any of you have moved recently or if you have any of these boxes that just sit in your home and you don't unpack them because you don't need anything in them. And when you do, you find yourself unpacking them. When it impacts your life, you unpack it. A spiritualized gospel allows the status quo that upholds the structures that benefit the rich and the powerful to be satisfactory. Why would we challenge them when they work for me? When they work for us, when they work for you. And, and a spiritualized gospel has a unique ability to numb our senses and blind our eyes to seeing 
our brother and sister in Christ and their suffering. Ironically enough, these are often the people Jesus is found dining with and in solidarity with. The people that I am often numb and blind to. And then, there, and then also, I'm dumb and blind to uh, the ways in which I may be complicit in their suffering. So, a spiritualized gospel, which only concerns itself with my soul after I die, is a very dangerous gospel that does harm to you, though you may not know it, though I may not know it, and certainly to the poor and those who suffer in the world. Right? A holistic gospel that brings everything out of the compartments and forces us all to be in the same room together forces me to see my brother and my sister and their suffering. Whether I want to or not, it peels the scales off of my eyes, God willing, and helps me see the world for what it is. And it challenges those who benefit from structures and systems to see the cost borne by those who are on the underside of it. Reggie Williams, who's an author, uh, he wrote a book which has a great title, Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus, Harlem Renaissance Theology and an Ethic of Resistance. That's saying something. And we haven't even got to the quote. He says that this gospel, this spiritualized gospel, is a pernicious gospel. A spiritualized gospel makes a mockery to placate, or becomes a mockery to placate those in suffering and misery with the hope for a better existence in another world. I'll fly away. A spiritualized gospel is what Bonhoeffer read as the opiate religion of white racism. Okay, friends. Um, everybody take a deep breath. Drink of water. I hope that you, you're seeing the case that I'm trying to build that to say we value holism is really, really important. I would say for the church in general, but specifically our church, yeah? Because we live in a particular place and we have certain things afforded to us, many of us. And so for a church that finds herself here in this place where a spiritualized gospel is what I got in VBS, it's what I got at camp, it's what I got at co in college, it's what I was taught to teach in some ways, it's important that we as a church say we value a holistic gospel. So what are we aiming at, okay? If we've created the straw man and thoroughly thrashed them, what are, we gonna, what are we trying to build? What are we aiming at as a church? And I'll end with this. Uh, a guy named Ron Sider uh, says it this way. He says, the whole gospel to the whole person by whole churches. The whole gospel to whole people from whole churches. What do we mean by that? The whole gospel. I'm committed to, we're committed to, the whole, the entirety of the gospel, which includes forgiveness of sin, and, or forgiveness and restoration from sin and brokenness, right? That's an obvious one. We would all think that if we've spent any time in evangelical churches. It also includes this big word, sanctification, discipleship, growing in our faith. So it's proclamation. It's also teaching and discipleship. It includes the transformation of so, social and economic structures in our neighborhoods. That's gospel work, people. It includes reconciliation and peace among people who have been divided, this is what Paul says in Ephesians. I've come to make peace and tear down the walls that divide. 
make one humanity. So it involves, like, proclamation and discipleship and transformation of our social structures and reconciliation. And it involves the triumph over evil on a cosmic level. The, the wholeness of the gospel includes all of those things, not just one of them. So we're committed to the whole gospel. So the, the, work, of social, the work of justice and the work of transforming social uh, systems in our neighborhoods by voting and using your voice, that's gospel work. When people are denied the opportunity to vote, that's gospel work, that we would get in those places and say, no, that's not right. That's gospel work, right? All of these things matter. So the whole gospel, to whole people, we're committed to and we care about the whole person. Uh, I used to teach at Bethel in this program called Well-Being. Um, my values and Bethel's values have sort of started to move away from each other, and so I no longer have that opportunity. But there is this, uh, there is this great, this great well-being wheel that we would teach, uh, written by a brilliant scholar and friend of mine, who uh, happens to go to our church. Um, but you can't see two of them. Uh, but the idea is that the human person is not just like one thing. We're not just souls. That's not the only thing that matters. But rather, we are integrated people who have physical and emotional and relational and vocational or, and spiritual and cognitive parts of ourselves. So when we think about the whole person and we think about the gospel, we want to like, think about how does the gospel impact and interact with all parts of our lives? What does the good news of God in Jesus mean to my vocational life? For those of you that are bankers and real estate agents and teachers and fill in the blank and nurses, what does the gospel mean to you in your vocation? What does it mean in my, like, the way my brain works and how do I learn new things? Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that just a spiritual idea or should we care about neurology and how our brains learn new things? I would argue the latter. Right? So the whole gospel to the whole person. So if you have nothing to eat, the gospel should address that too. Right? If you have no place to lay your head, the gospel should be concerned about that as well. So the whole gospel to the whole person through whole churches. And I love this. Uh, the Anglicans get it right on, on a few things, this being one of them. Um, they talk about like this five-fold uh, robust full church, right, operating on all cylinders. So they are proclaiming the good news. They're teaching and discipling. They're serving the poor in the least of these. They're working for change and justice, and they're caring for their planet. So we're proclaiming the gospel. We're, we're speaking it. First, Timothy, or First Peter says, give reason for the hope you have. You should be able to articulate why you care about God and Jesus. Proclaim the gospel. Teach, disciple, like help people grow in the faith. Serve the least of these and the poor among you. Transform the social systems that impact those people and you and care about the world that you live in. That's a whole church doing holistic ministry. So friends, in closing... It's easy to take shots at what you don't like. It's easy to sort of tear something down. Everybody, anybody can do that. But to build something that's beautiful, that takes intentionality, it takes a plan, it takes blueprints, it takes skilled workers. I'd like to build a church that is holistic, that has a holistic view of spiritual life, that recognizes the whole gospel and the entirety of it to a whole person and is operating as a fully functioning, robust church in the world. I guess my question to you is, will you help me build it?
Will you help us be that kind of place? That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming at. That's why we declare this value of holism. That's why it's important. And I I hope that you can see, like, this matters so much. Because when 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 we offer a gospel that is spiritualized and only concerned with one's soul and where it goes after they die. Uh, it allows for all kinds of things that do harm and damage, not only to the people that are hearing it, but also the people who are sharing it, you and me. So that's my invitation to you, to be that kind of church. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments this morning to pause and to be still, Before we come to the table, this table that reminds us of this body, this physical body that was broken and blood that was shed for us. Um, God, we want to be people who represent you in the world faithfully. We want to be the kind of church that um, recognizes that the good news of God in you, Jesus, is robust and big and involves not only just our eternal life someday later, but this life now and these bodies and this world. So Holy Spirit, would you just take a moment uh, or in this moment remind us of who we are, who you've called us to be, and the invitation that you might give to each of us this morning. In just a moment, we're going to invite you to the table, and as you do, uh, we'll invite you to make your way down the side aisles. There's some hand sanitizer. There'll be folks here serving you the elements. Uh, There's red wine. There's white grape juice. The bread is gluten-free. I invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. So when you drink of it, remember me. Um, This is the table of the church. uh, This is the table of the Lord, not the table of the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God. So come, you who have faith, a little bit, a shred of it, or a lot of it. You who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So receive them today. Um, Before we invite you to the table, we'll have the kids come on down and we'll offer them a blessing. And then as they exit, uh, servers will come and uh, invite you to receive the communion table. So, Awaken, it's good to be with you. It's good to hear your voices. Um, As you go, a couple of things we want to remind you of. Uh, Next week, October 2nd, is the weekend of the fall retreat. So there will be no gathering here. So if you're not going to make it on the retreat, um, we'll record the podcast. And that will be released so you can watch it at home or with your life group or uh, at your leisure. Um, There is a survey that has gone out in the Awaken Weekly about gathering times. Uh, As we've come back in the fall, um, you know, we're, we're getting close to that point of maybe needing two gatherings again. So we'd really love your input on, uh, on those times. Traditionally, we've done 9.30 and 11, and all the families come at 9.30 and none of them come at 11. So we're trying to figure out a way to balance that a little bit. So your input on what gathering you would come to is super important for us. So please fill that out if you haven't. 
And that is all I have for you today. So leave with this blessing, knowing that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Discover Awaken starts at 1130 downstairs. More room if you haven't signed up. See you there. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.